0: I got Chris Casey, John O'Connor, and myself, David Manica, here. This is the continuation of John's fantastic career procast, And we're going to really dig into an interesting topic, one that might seem a little different for folks because it doesn't necessarily match up with um, what you're going to be told on a consistent basis. This is the idea of potentially using consulting and contracting aka owning your own business as a tool in your job search well sounds kind of opposite but i we think that there is some value there in some ways that you can utilize owning your own consulting or testing out your ownership of your own business to really help you take that next step in your career especially if you're looking at trying to build some career, some different skills and try, trying to pivot in another direction so before we get going, Chris, any thoughts that you want to share on this topic before we jump into it? The same with you, John. Well, I think that the,
1: uh, in the, the current environment we find ourselves in, having some alternative options in, in addition to a traditional job search really gives you a foundation that uh, not only that you can plan for or plan on, but also could very well be a revenue source or sources that uh, are, are badly needed as you uh, traverse the uh, employment landscape.
0: What you're thinking about there, um, Chris, is the idea of building a run, helping you build an extra runway as you're making your pivot and adjustment and giving you extra time to search out that job that might be better for you instead of taking that first job because you need a job immediately.
1: It, it, exactly. Or perhaps even in the process, finding that a self-employment uh, avenue or route is really what uh, you're suited for.
0: And then, John, any thoughts on your side before we get going? I just want to make one comment about a past experience um, that I had tied to somebody owning their own business and hiring them.
2: So, John, any thoughts on your side? Oh, sure. I think it's such a great topic, especially with two people here who have done this, done it well, made money. Uh, I know that sometimes the euphemism for not having a job is putting up the word consultant on your LinkedIn profile or somewhere else, but, and, and saying that you have an LLC or a business, but you, you both have done this and have been great people to work with as clients and as friends and colleagues, because you've built little enterprises on the side and you've always looked at it that way. We've always just quickly recommended people look at their own career as owning their own business and, that's part of the career insurance topic, David, that we've talked about. And Chris, I know you've done all of this, but I just wanted to add that and also a little a little bit more to button this up as we get started that I think it is smart to sometimes quietly have your own enterprise working on the side or building something out that, you know, you, you don't overtly have to loudly advertise. So whether you keep it confidential and quiet or whether you're Building it out, you really can do this, and I think the opportunities will continue to abound uh, for the LL the quiet or LLC as you're moving your career forward. So, looking forward to the conversation, guys. Great point, John. So, from my past
0: experience, um, I was a young gentleman um, working for a pretty large training firm. I got the opportunity to to run the Canadian side of the business for six months during a major transition, and I was hiring a national account manager. And I was interviewing folks and I was seeing the same old, same old. And this one gentleman came to me and he had owned the pet food company for like the last four or five years. And before that, he was a sales, you know, great sales experience and technology and so forth. And it really resonated with me because, you know, one, the division was struggling at the time. And so I, I didn't want somebody coming in and think there was going to be a magic formula for making this division work. And so he understood the challenges of trying to chase revenue, find revenue, the struggles of always looking for it, not expecting somebody else to feed you, um, and doing it yourself. And that's really what I I could offer at that time, based on where the division was. And this gentleman tr- turned out to be just incredible. Spent almost 20 years, you know, successfully selling in that company. And and what resonated with me was that ownership of the dog food business and you know, normally people would have probably just maybe just pushed it off to the side and say, well, he doesn't have relevant selling experience in our industry, but just knowing what that meant, you know, made me look at him and it was a a true success story. So I just wanted to throw that in there as another avenue and and it it makes people, it could potentially make people look at you in a different way. So Chris, going to you, tell us a little bit about your past experience from an LLC um, business ownership perspective.
1: Well, I have. Uh, I'm kind of a unique uh, duck in that respect, in that I've only had a, a small number of jobs with large corporations. Uh, from the time I've been about 22 um, to today, I have either uh, owned uh, as a sole uh, proprietor or as a, a sole shareholder my own firms, and. Um, The experience uh, over the years, as you pointed out in terms of your pet food executive, uh, really puts you at the front lines of having to deal with customers in addition to whatever subject matter expertise you're bringing to the table. And understanding that and understanding the necessity to do the marketing and from a cash management standpoint, uh, understanding that consulting or any type of all business venture is typically subject to peaks and valleys uh, different than a salaried employee position. But learning how to manage that and doing it successfully over a, uh, a I'll say 20 plus, but it's a little longer than that, uh, career uh, really sets you up for a, um, uh, a solid foundation for moving forward. And I think just one other point here that... that off of what you said, David, that the uh, pet food uh, guy turned out to be a great hire. In a lot of instances, having that background, um, some internal recruiters will look at that as being a uh, a deficit, meaning that you become, a, uh, in their minds, a potential flight risk. Uh, but the reality is, if you've been running your business for a while and have been in the consulting game, the... Uh, when you go after a job, the intent is is that you're going to perform for that uh, client, right? Even though it's an employee relationship, you're going to give it a, exactly what you would give a client who you're servicing. And so the risk of flight and the, the, uh, the perception that that is true is actually false. And you, you have to be cognizant of that when you go in because depending on how long you've been doing it, uh, that could be a um, a detrimental factor.
0: That's a really good point, Chris. And, you know, as I was thinking about it, I was tying it back to, in my mind, as you were talking, this idea of making yourself as invaluable as possible. And I think with my example, and the example you're talking about here is, if you've owned your business and you go back and you work for, uh, you know, work for a company, you're somewhat valuable because you understand the pain that the company is going through. And, and, it, it, and it's important because that's a balance issue. And I know a lot of cases it's tough for us as employees to, you know, understand why the big bad company is making lots and lots of money and isn't taking care of us very well. When you own your own business, you realize the other issues that's going on around that, that doesn't allow the business to maybe do what you think it should do. Your tax responsibility, your benefit responsibilities, your cash flow management responsibilities, the responsibilities associated with reserves. So if you're having a difficult time, you can bring those reserves back in. And I'm sure that's happening with a lot of people right now. They're wondering why their company hasn't laid them off. And it could have been because the company couldn't maybe give you the salary increase you increase as you want it because they're hoarding reserves for a COVID-19 type situation. So, you know, John, Chris, I love what you said there, because it really shows this idea that, hey, this you know, you're bringing somebody in who's been a consultant. They get it, and they could be so much more invaluable to you as they get some of the struggles that the business faces outside of just what you see as an employee. Does that makes sense to you, Chris or John? John, your thoughts on that?
2: Absolutely makes sense. I love it's. I think we could maybe part of what you're saying is it's sensitivity training for employees to understand what their employer is going through. But like that's not a very popular topic. <laughs> You know, but I think actually you're really on to something because when you have that real awareness of all the ins and outs of running even a small enterprise, it does make you super sensitive to, to some of the things maybe an employer is going through. And I think both Chris and David have said it. It's like, I really do believe the people that get and have successfully built a small consultancy and LLC on the side, or, or, or done some projects and had to be everything to everyone, you become a better employee because you are sensitive about deadlines and about personnel issues and about just how delays can cost. And, and I think if you bring that same ownership mindset into a job, you know, they, I think it was maybe within the last 10 years, they really We're starting to ask about, uh, we need you to have an entrepreneurial attitude toward this opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, corporations were hiring for that, it seemed. And I think truly someone who has their own small enterprise and consultancy and has run it like you both have run yours, really has that whatever it takes attitude. They aren't like, hey, that isn't in my job description mindset. You don't want an employer to just run over you with a truck because you're willing to go the extra mile. But I've seen those people that have had their own enterprise and realize what it takes say, hey, it's not too much for me to do some of these little extra things that I think the employer hopefully will appreciate. Because, boy, that's what it takes to have that big picture employee, not just an employee mindset, but that entrepreneurial mindset. And that's what you guys are talking about. So I'm really excited about listening to more of what you have to say.
0: Hey, Chris, any thoughts on your side, some of the things that John just presented there?
2: Oh, I
1: think that's exactly right. The um, Today's um, self-empowered and self-organizing teams, if we take a, uh, a line out of the uh, Scrum uh, playbook, yeah, require that type of entrepreneurial spirit. And And John has it exactly right. When you look at a problem, if you have that experience behind you rather than Here's how it went at the last job I was in with uh, organizational and and political uh, aspects of of working in in an organization, no matter how large. It gives you a different perspective and a different way that you can come out at some of the problems and issues that you're going to be presented with.
0: That's so interesting. And, you know, this is the key piece for me, having owned the business and then sold it. And then now it owns my own, my own little, little LLC. I've kind of seen both sides and working for other business owners. In some ways I've been able to talk to them in a relatable fashion that allows them to, to utilize my influence more because they trust more as I, I, I'm giving them the sense that I understand their pain. And I, I think that's part of it is that you could be more influential if you've owned the business previously, when you're communicating with the ownership, specific, specifically around the mid-size or smaller company. Now, when we get into very large companies, this becomes a little bit more nebulous because you don't really you're never really going to touch the shareholders per se, but it does allow for that influence because you can communicate with them in a way that that resonates with them. That they're not used to, which is, yeah, I understand you're having, you have to make a difficult decision because of cash. And yeah, I always, I remember the fact that, you know, people don't realize you have to pay 15% on top of salary for benefits and they don't see it. Since they don't see it, they don't think it exists and they don't, they don't understand the value of that. And using that language could be very, very, very beneficial. So kind of taking the next step you know, Chris, I'll throw this at you. I, I think there's two avenues here with the idea that we're talking about maybe owning a complete business itself, trying that out for a couple of years, whether it's a dog food store or a pet franchise of some type. But then you also have this idea of maybe owning an LLC on the side. So right now I own an LLC on the side. It's about, you know, 15, 20, maybe 25 hours a month. And I do it for specific reasons. Chris, on your side, you basically 24, not 24 seven, but 40 hours a week for the last 20 years have owned your own consulting firm. And that's been your business. So kind of talk about both sides of those, you know, and how that might or might not help in your career search from your perspective.
1: So 40 hours a week is a dream, David. Um, hey, I hear yeah. <laughs> Good point. Um, yeah. So I, I have taken a different route for a, uh, for a number of, of, of reasons. So when I my companies that I've incorporated have either been straight C's or, as I'm into now, uh, a sub-S uh, corporation, which uh, affords basically the same pieces as the LLC, but has a slightly different tax structure. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, that's something that you would want to look into while you were starting off. But from a, a contracting standpoint, which is basically what I am, is a professional project and program manager, and uh, and offering those services on a contract basis, you need to really um, look at what your market is. And if you've got a particular specialty that you can leverage on a consulting basis, and, and potential customers out there already, that is a great way to, to start by just kind of dipping in and doing a few small projects first, before you take on something that might be larger, uh, but keeping in mind, I think uh, as both you and John mentioned, the the personalities that you're dealing with are going to be different depending on what companies you're marketing to. And I'm assuming we're doing business to business here, um, yeah. rather than a retail uh, franchise operation, which is a, a, a very good uh, avenue if you are. Um, Uh, uncomfortable with going out and and essentially beating the bushes um, face-to-face with your your customer. And so you do have this sliding scale of sensibility where in a smaller firm, you can bring that that knowledge that you have in terms of um, the specialized knowledge that you're offering them and coming in as the expert. And that essentially translates the entire spectrum. But you also have to be careful on the top end that if you've been doing it for a while and you do have this body of knowledge that says, okay, I understand how this works. I understand how your business works. Large, larger companies, uh, the larger mid caps and the uh, you know the Fortune uh, 1000 company uh, could very well take that as overreach. And that's a situation where uh, they're bringing you in to solve a specific problem and um i won't say that they don't appreciate it but they don't want um any extended piece on that they just want you to come in fix the problem that they've got and then um play. i mean that's the that's how the contracting side works so the, the the vehicles of the corporations just kind of the loop back to that that's really from a protection basis uh from a liability basis in, in essence, and I, I will tell you this from uh, uh, over 20, but more like over 40 years of experience, um, I have not yet uh, run into a situation where I have been sued uh, for any type of performance related. Well, I haven't been sued at all. <laughs> and so, so the necessity of having a corporate structure would be it LLC or sub S or a full C corporation um is is something that you need to look at, but it may be an expense, and there are expenses that are uh, associated with it. It may be an expense that you don't really need, and that you can just go out there and offer yourself as an independent, excuse me, an independent consultant and not have a corporate structure behind you. And with
0: the challenge Chris with that is you know the rules that are going on in California right now which are making it more and more difficult for, um, com- no, making it completely impossible in California for companies to work with an independent consultant who's not, has some type of corporate entity. They're trying to deal with the with the withholding tax issue. So I hear you and that's been predominant. I mean, there's been a lot of folks out there doing contract work through their social security number, but I think that's going to slowly go away over time.
1: What you'll find too, David, is that if you, especially in the technology trades, um, if you go through and look at the current hiring practices for contract workers, uh, almost invariably, um, once you get to a company of a certain size, they do not hire anybody directly, unless you are a very large uh, consulting or a corporate entity. But they use either internal, uh, and I'll, I'll give a name here, uh, Let's say Fidelity, who's big in this particular market, and up, up north. Uh, Fidelity has a captive uh, recruiting arm called Veritude. And if you are a contractor, you become a W-2 employee of Veritude. yes, Or, um, or you become a W-2 employee of a, recruit, a downstream recruiter who then comes in through Veritude as a and they've got a, a corp-to-corp relationship.
0: Yeah. So, Consider a contractor with Fidelity, but you're really a W-2 with whatever the contracting um, entity is. That's exactly
1: right. And so between that, um, they uh, ostensibly, uh, the, the purpose is to insulate them from that uh, employee tax treatment. Although, you know, the, the government can get quite aggressive with regard to determining, with their 20 rules, uh, how contractors work. And I can tell you that that no company out there is going to be able to totally um, abide by all of those rules. And so there's a, a large amount of slippage that have, happens there. And it just depends on how aggressive the uh uh, the IRS wants to be with those companies if they find that there is some sort of abuse going on.
0: Like, right. radar or not really—that's the—that's the the risk factor you get. They have to look at and you know a mid-size, you know, publicly held company is not going to have the same risk that maybe a Facebook or a, a LinkedIn or a Microsoft would have.
1: Right or Apple. Uh, all of those are uh, you know high visibility, deep-pocketed uh, enterprises and. Uh, that's something that you do have to keep, uh, you know, keep a a, a a watch on. But it's difficult to, uh, in situations where that that comes up, where an employer uh, or a client comes and says, "Well, I want you to do this, this, and this, and here's how I want you to do it." So that clearly violates uh, how the IRS envisions an independent contractor. The client is not supposed to have any type of say over how you do something. Um, what you're doing, yes, but how you're doing it, no. And so then the, the, uh, the question as a someone who's delivering against that is, well, do I push back on that and say, well, wait a minute. You know, if we do that, then you're, you're putting yourself at risk um, from me being classified as an employee. And the client at that point then could make the call and say, well, I don't care. Um, and you know, this is how I want it done. You need to do it this way. Uh, or, Oh, well, okay. You figure out how to do it and go your merry way. So it's a very, very wide, uh, and deep gray area, uh, with regard to how those classifications work, but, uh, something you can, should consider, um, if you're looking at, at doing straight contracting work uh, without necessarily forming a corporation.
0: No, it's all, that's all great points. And, you know, taking a step back from this, I think what we want to be thinking about here is, is there's a couple different avenues. I think the first avenue is the um, is the person who is just sick and tired of working for the man and wants to have a little bit more control over, you know, what they do and how they do it. I I think, Chris, you've done a great job of of elaborating on some of the elements of that, for sure. Like, hey, you know, the bigger companies are going to end up being a, you know, employee through a contracting entity. But that W-2 relationship is, you know, certainly not the same as if you're – it is the same, but it's not quite the same. It's still going to give you room to do other things within your LLC, you know, or within your C-Corp or your S-Corp. But there's different reasons why you might want to incorporate. And there's the idea that you don't have to incorporate and using your tax ID. And there, there, there's some pros and cons associated with that. The other side is the side to say, look at you're in COVID-19. You're struggling to figure out what you want to do next. You don't have the experience that you may, you know, you may think you need to have, you know, Are there ways that you can gain that experience through being a contractor or a consultant or participating in the gig economy, which is pretty significant out there at lots of different websites that you can go to and service, you know, and then advertise some of your skills for very fractional type work to start building experience in in a specific area that you want to grow in so you can show that to a potential employer in the future? So you know, that's that, the other side of this. And and for me, I, I think it's pretty interesting, this idea to say, look, at, um, I'll, maybe I'll set up a small LLC in the state of North Carolina. It's $200 a year through the Secretary of State. It gives me the ability to bill myself out with a tax ID number. And either, A, I could participate in the gig economy. Like for me, I do a couple different consulting arrangements for GLG and Alpha and Alpha Sites. That's, that's kind of a gig economy. Um, I know a lot of people do on the design side. And then also I can test out maybe try offering some of my skills to someone that might be a growth opportunity for me. And that way I have this back, I have this that I can utilize and test out and try out and see and see where it goes. So first I'll throw this to John, to get John's thoughts on it, then I'll throw it back to Chris. So John, you know, based on your experience, what's your thoughts on that? Is using your using consulting as a way to potentially build your skills up in the
2: area you want to get to as an employee? I think you just outlined it perfectly i don't I wouldn't add too much more to that it's It's one of the tactics you can use with this. I mean, you've got on the super serious side over multiple years and really done a deep dive in the technology area and and knows how to do it, Chris with that perspective, which is extraordinarily valuable. I mean, you got to get with a Chris Casey if you want to venture out and you've got those technical skills but you know, let's focus on the fundamentals. Sometimes you do this, quote, consultancy for little or no money or decent money or whatever, because you want to grow a skill area and you want to have a reference. And that's a great reason to do it. You don't have to do it because, man, I got to pay this bill. Do it that way. And then lastly, fundamentally, as we start to wind down, I think just keeping that entrepreneurial mindset, you don't, I think Chris was saying, you don't really need to go get my LLC, my business license, my this, my that, my that, the cart ahead of the horse, and I agree with the David side, like look at what California's doing, you better watch this. I think it's a good middle ground where you, you're aware that you might need to get these designations and fill out the paperwork, but go find the need. Go find the the problem to solve that scratch, the itch to scratch, or whatever you want to call it in your field or in industry or passion area. And, and talk at least to that stakeholder, that potential person you might help or do business with or become a somewhat of an independent contractor with. And if if you feel like, hey, that could grow my career, it could grow my income, these are all great reasons to do it. So I'm just applauding the fact that we're talking about this because sometimes it's a quiet part of career strategy or career progression that we kind of keep on the back burner. We always want to talk about jobs and career movement and titles. This is about solving problems and finding out what you know is really out there and then acting on it and not being afraid to, to promote it. This is a skill you have and a problem you can solve and an achievement you could talk about to anyone who you next want to meet with, whether it be a job or your next contract or, or gig economy opportunity. So I'm just loving this topic.
0: So Chris, your thoughts. I mean, you've lived a whole life. You've owned this business. Yeah, you might have W two through another contracting agent, but you were running this business. Do you see? You see this concept of I'm um, using using your side consultancy as a way to kind of grow your skills, or do you think that people might look at it and push back and say, you know, you just didn't have enough skin in the game. You really didn't learn enough. Um, what's your thoughts on it?
1: Um, in my in my history. Um, I think the, the, the best way to look at this is it really depends on, one, where you are in your career path. So if you are uh, just starting out, if you're in your mid-20s, uh, early 30s, and haven't really uh, formed a uh, a, a, def- a definitive career path, then... The decisions that you're going to make and where you place your value are going to be different than if you are a later in life a person who has those skills, who could potentially enter the market with a strong resume from a contracting standpoint that says, well, I've done this, 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 and this, so I can help you solve your problem because I've done it five times before. Whereas if you're younger, you may not have those five experiences that you can up to that, but that would mean that then you would go after a different type of client and a different type of, of project, uh, or offer a different kind of skill. And of course, there's an infinite number of of problems out there to solve, uh, but there are also a lot of people out there who are doing the same thing. So I think the the best advice that I could give someone in this in this regard is be clear about why and what you're doing. And if, if, like John says, you want to get out from underneath working for the man, um, which is a, an excellent reason, and and being self-employed, um, be it through a, the gig economy or starting your own business, really gives you 100% control over your time. And uh, and that's really what, what I think, you know, getting away from the man means. Um, it also creates the uh, stresses and rewards that, uh, that you won't see in, in a standard employment. So I think that, again, the first thing that you've got to do is assess where you are in your career, what skills and, and competencies you have, um, and how they would translate then out to the market. Um, but by the same token, be careful about that because there's a lot of competition out there too. So you really have to have, if you don't have a marketing mindset with regard to how you differentiate yourself uh, against or among your competitors who are out there, you really need to put that up front too and, and evaluate that and say, okay, well, yeah, I'm a, uh, I am had a conversation last night, for instance, uh, with a woman who is in the uh, Marcom business. She's a project manager and a designer, she knows how that whole um, part of the business works, but she went out and got her Scrum Master certificate because she wants to try and get more into technology, and she thought having a Scrum Master certificate was the way to go. Um, but what she quickly found out, and, and I think this goes goes somewhat to the you know fail fast uh, mantra that's that's out there, is that You know, people with only a small amount of experience, more than her, who were certified scrum masters, were beating her out for the jobs that she was going after. So she's looking now to do a pivot uh, into, uh, again, this is scrum technology or the agile technology into a product owner position, which I highly endorse because she's actually better suited uh, for that product owner position position still getting her into the technology stream um, but without the the technical requirement of dealing with technical so whether whether you're in the technology space like that whether you're doing graphic arts whether you, if you've got good writing skills writing is a is a huge opportunity uh that uh, a lot of companies look for um content management those types of things uh, just be clear in terms of why you're doing it and and what, if you can, what you expect to see two, three, five years down the road, because that will then give you a trajectory that you can bounce off, bounce your progress against, and say, am I am I getting what I thought I was going to get out of this, and uh, is this really for me?
0: Good stuff, Chris. I think we can probably unpack this even more detail, but just kind of to summarize. You now, when i look at this i see two pathways i see a pathway of you want to try something it's a great opportunity to go out there and try it especially in the marketplace currently but don't get down and think that that's going to affect your ability to get back into the marketplace i think if you position yourself right you tried for two years to own a business it wasn't successful as we have talked about, there's a way to communicate what you've learned to make yourself more indispensable, especially to a smaller or mid-sized company. On the flip side, you know, we've talked about this idea of, hey, if you want to go out there and test you know, where you might want to go, where your skills can take you, on the side, there are avenues to do that through aka the gig economy, vendors who are looking for fraction I mean, companies who are looking for fractional services um, in specific areas. And some areas lend itself better than others, but it's out there. And, and this gives you another way of looking at your career um, and, and another tactic to take instead of the straight up, go through a recruiter network, try to find a job that you can you can be a W-2 for, and then you're stuck in the same thing over and over again.
2: John, any ending thoughts on your side? I'll pass it over to Chris and we'll close out. I think we can close out. I'm just, I'm taking notes myself. This is great stuff and, uh, you know, fantastic topics. So, no, I'm good.
0: And then, Chris, anything you want to close out on, sir? Uh, uh, I'll leave you with two,
1: uh, two words that if you're striking out on your own, you need to be very, very uh, cognizant of, and that's cash reserve.
0: <laughs> great point, Chris. Great point. All right, with that, thank you all. We'll probably have another section on this at some point in the near future. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks, David. Recording.